slash report. I'm Prue, and as per usual, I'm joined by my typical partner in crime, MK. Hello there. Hi. So, guys, before we get started, we wanted to let you know that we are changing up our standard format a little bit. Not that we don't love our two-hour-long, mega-single-topic deep-dive episodes. We just find them occasionally a little bit exhausting, and it's difficult to kind of capture the wealth of batchittery that we like to cover. So we're changing these up a bit. Let us know how you think about it. Um, But this week, to start us off on the news section, we wanted to cover a couple of things, and we're going to be going through... Um, a couple of shows, Agent Carter, The Librarians, we'll chat a little bit about the new Mythbusters format as well. Um, and then we'll touch on Gamergate uh, per MK and tell you a little bit about our new website and a couple of requests from us to you. So MK, do you want to get us started with, um, let's start with something depressing. Let's talk about Gamergate. Oh my God. Okay. So uh, you won't have heard this yet, but upcoming, there will be an episode of Female Gaze Cast about video games. And in it, we talk a lot about Gamergate. Suffice to say, a bunch of fedora-wearing losers uh, believe that women don't belong in gaming, and they're saying that their argument is about ethics in video game journalism. And women are like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having ladies write, produce, play video games, and have, like, characters that represent them in the game. That would be nice. Anyways, this argument has been going on on the internet viciously for months, months and months, almost a year. And Wikipedia, which is generally supposed to be pretty neutral, uh, has this committee of people who, when an article gets edited back and forth and back and forth a lot because it's controversial, will debate it and then decide which edits belong and which edits don't and kind of lock down the post. And surprising nobody, that committee is mostly made up of dudes and they have sided with the fedora-wearing losers. Uh, which means that any feminist edits to the article about Gamergate on Wikipedia have been removed and a bunch of authors have been banned. So uh, this is just me, but I recommend that you stop donating money to Wikipedia immediately and maybe tell them how you feel about that. Here's the thing, though. Like, I, I genuinely feel like that's not the correct response to this. Because the larger problem with, this actually speaks of like a larger problem with Wikipedia in general, in the sense that like too many of its editors are women, or sorry, are, are men. They completely dwarf the editorial body of women, which means you're missing out on like a huge swath of knowledge and perspective. And you could replace women with like minority or ethnic, like whatever you want, like anybody other than like guys who are in the ethnic majority of any culture are are just like really vastly underrepresented and like I don't necessarily think that like not supporting Wikipedia monetarily is the best way to handle this like wouldn't the right answer be to like become an editor or like just to petition Wikipedia but from like an editor standpoint oh sure uh, if I believed that that would actually do anything. But in this case, I'm a big believer of vote with your wallet. So, like, don't buy games that are terrible to women. Like, don't buy Grand Theft Auto. And in this case, I'm like, stop donating to Wikipedia. And at the same time, tell them how you feel about this. And, like, why you've stopped donating. Because they need that money. Okay, I disagree. But I, I see your point. Agree to disagree. Yes. All right, let's how move on. How long has this been going on now? Oh, like, almost a year. And also, how has the gaming episode of Female Gaze not been posted yet? Uh, we recorded it either right after or right before Slash Report went on hiatus. So this is this is absurd how long that's been sitting around then. Yeah, I haven't edited it yet. 
Okay, cool. Just wanted to check in. It's still relevant. It's still relevant and a great episode. Okay. One, like six years from now when anybody hears it. It'll, it'll go up after probably, you know, I don't know. Six of never. Okay. <laughs> um, on to television shows. Uh, and much happier news, swinging right back up, Agent Carter. Agent Carter is fantastic, and I've been describing it to people as Marvel's Miss Fisher to, like, summarize it. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to sort of pinpoint it. Right? Yeah. So, like, everything I love about Miss Fisher, I love about Agent Carter. I think the other thing that really works in its favor, and I know that there were people, there was initially some rumbling of discontent that Agent Carter was coming back as, like, a miniseries, because I think there are only, what, like, eight episodes of it? Eight or 12? Something like that. Uh, Like a very truncated number of episodes. And I remember when it was originally announced and that was the number that was given, there was a little bit of like discontentment that it was getting a miniseries order instead of a series order like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did. But I would actually argue that's actually one of its biggest benefits that it's not being forced to adhere to the standard... 24. The standard like season-long order because... We all remember, like, those of us who, like, sat through the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> remember that that was, like, an act of devotional love, and it had nothing to do with the quality of the show. Like, it was not good for a lot of it, because there was so much agonizing filler, and there was, like, three or four good eps before we hit the Captain America 2 and the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff um, that really actually made that show great. And now season two is, like, really fantastic, But I feel like it would have benefited from, like, a smaller episode order. And I feel like that intensity and, like, the concentration and, like, not being able to waste time and not having, like, the space to, like, dick around is really helping Agent Carter. Yeah, I think it's, I would call it the dollhouse effect. Did you try to- I don't know what that is. (laughs) Did you try to watch Dollhouse at all? No. Not not even a little bit. That's probably for the best. So- if they felt like they had so much time to like build some kind of whatever, whatever they were trying to do with Dollhouse. And they wound up not really introducing any of the plot shit until they found out that they were getting canceled. And then they crammed it all into like five episodes. And I was like, man, I hated this show. Like I hated it because it just seemed to be about like a weird prostitution ring with amnesia. And like, if you just had put in this plot from the very beginning and been like, overt about it and like putting it in every episode I probably would have enjoyed this show so anything that can prevent Agent Carter from like getting that dollhouse effect I'm for uh that's wow I had no idea the dollhouse had that issue don't watch dollhouse I trust me that is not going to be a problem that I'll be facing in my lifetime good I watch terrible things and then I regret it, but that's why we have this podcast. Actually, since you're talking about terrible things, do you want to talk about the other terrible thing? Librarians? (laughs) The show is so bad. This is like, oh, okay, I'm so face blind, but I managed to recognize Chris Kane in like a picture promoting librarians. And I was like, well, this sounds like it's sort of like Leverage meets Warehouse 13 and Chris Kane is in it. Like I should definitely watch it. And um, Mystique is in it. Like why wouldn't I watch this? And then I tried watching it and I remember like messaging you guys being like, I can't, I don't even know if I can make it through the first episode. Like it's so bad. 
we we all tried so hard right like so when i found out about this show like i never watched the librarians movies no um, i thought they were a joke i i i I have nothing like it's just like the antithesis of everything that I love in the world like Noah Wiley is being like so flailly arms Noah Wiley and I like don't I, I can't with that so I never watched the show but I liked the press I like the idea of like the secret library with all the magic and artifacts and things I like this sort of like magical realism Indiana Jones like melting faces off of Nazi shit like it is a weakness of mine I don't want to get it fixed I want to be sick like this forever um so when they said that they were making a TV show of the librarians and that Rebecca Bromton and, or is it Rebecca Romain? I literally have no idea how to spell it or I pronounce it. I think it's Rebecca um, Romain, but I have no idea also. Someone okay. will tell us. So we're, we're both ignorant. Yeah. So when they said that they were making the show with her as the lead and then Chris Kane as uh, an art historian who was also a brawler, I was like, I am 100% here for that. Right? Like, that sounds hot. That sounds great. Like, I did not need anything else from the pitch. And then the fact that John Rogers, who had done Leverage, which is, like, one of my favorite shows ever, um, was doing the show, I was so excited. And then I watched the first episode, and I've never been so brutally punched in the throat by how much I hated something. It's also, like, I had hopes of, like, almost a national treasure type yes right with leverage sensibility the national treasure version of leverage exactly and i was like that's not what's happening here like everything that is happening is so boring and so painful and just like difficult like everything about the show is kind of the worst like the acting is appalling like so bad and i feel like at least 50 percent of it is because of the script because i know for a fact that rebecca R, I don't know her last name, Rebecca R, can act. And I know for a fact that Chris Kane can act. Right. So I have to assume that, like, the script is part of the reason this is so bad. And every character is so obvious, like, so obvious. And, like, the only element of nuance is the uh, the Lindy Booth character, the um, person with the synesthesia, which yeah. is, like, done in the most obnoxious way possible. Um, I have no idea if it's an accurate reflection of synesthesia. I believe no. that John Rogers did, like, a lot of um, research on it, but I don't think the way that they portray it is, like, it's too much. Like, all of it is too much. And the thing is, I have John Rogers on my Twitter feed. Oh, no. Because, well, he's very amusing. Um, and he always retweets, like, the people who are like, I love the librarians. It's the best. And by all accounts, it seems like it's doing well. What? <laughs> Yeah, like for TNT ratings, apparently it's doing okay. Um, and keeping in mind, this is coming from John Rogers' point of view. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like digging up independent ratings on this show. But uh, like, everyone is like, "Oh my god, I love it! All the characters are so great!" And I just like look at these people. Like, are you guys all like fourteen, maybe younger, like ten? Because this is a show I feel that is like so like um, bright primary colors and obvious and like ha <laughs> gags sword that's magic everything just like i was so aware that i was watching it yeah and also i have synesthesia and i don't think that they that's just that's terrible but also like as if we're supposed to believe that she's in love with noah wilder 
Wiley. Wiley, Wiley, whatever, that bad guy, like, that is so, like, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Also, those are two separate characters that you just talked about. No, uh, Rebecca, whatever, her character Rebecca is supposed has, to... Um, has the crush on Noah Wiley, yeah. and Lindy Booth has the synesthesia. Oh, yeah, sorry, but these are, like, the two things that really were grating on me recently. I mean, the other problem is, is that, like, I, I understand that there are certain limitations that come from being a cable television show. It's not like a prestige drama the way that you would have with like HBO. It's not even like a major network show where you would have a larger budget, but like this show looks so cheap and so fake. Yeah. It looked awful. And it's really odd to me. And I wonder how much of it is just because like the nature of the topic means they need more CGI, which looks fucking terrible always looks fucking terrible because they made leverage in the same sort of like mold and it looked great like that is a show that looked great and it didn't look expensive but it didn't bother you i feel like leverage was better at like show don't tell though right yeah like leverage would tell you um we're gonna do this thing and you would see people working on it but you wouldn't necessarily see the fine details of it and in the librarians they keep trying to show like fine details of things that then they have to do in CGI that they don't have the budget for. And I'm like, one, try special effects or, like, visual effects, rather, like, whatever. Try, like, Mythbusters style. And two, like, just, oh, my God, get better writers and just stop. Just stop everything. It's really, like, it's, I'm, like, I'm actually astonished by how much I hate the show. Yeah. we, like, we have it, just... it feels like a slap in the face that I watch, like, three episodes of it. Yeah. <laughs> because... Can we just discuss how, like, the Minotaur episode... Did you even watch that? No, because you were like, I think it gets better after the Minotaur episode. So I watched, like, the first episode and a half, and then I just skipped to whatever is after the Minotaur. And I was like, no, this is still awful. I made it, like, five minutes into the next episode, and I was like, nope. Yeah, the Minotaur is the one that did me in. So I did, like, the first two episodes because they came on together, and my DVR got them together, and I hated it. Um, like, I hate everything about it to the extent that, like, I hate the font that the show titles are yes. written in. Like, if it's a commercially available, immediately recognizable font, I don't want that. That just shows that. you how low budget and then, is. And then, like, the third episode is the Minotaur episode, and holy shit, it is, it is, like, mind-bendingly bad. <laughs> uh, I feel we can't talk about this because we could just talk about how bad it is for like an hour and it would just be an hour of us being like, I hate that show. But I feel like it's particularly, like, I feel like you and I at least feel personally offended by this show because we loved leverage so much. And like we 100% committed to the show because of leverage and because we had like bought into like the show creator and like certain people on the show. Right. Like yeah. the, these are our people, like, we are going to support them, but, like, this show is a butt. It is, like, a big, hairy butt, and I hate it. That is the perfect summary. The end. Let's talk about Mythbusters. Let, yes, correct. Good segue into Mythbusters, which, so, in case you guys missed this or are not frequent viewers of Mythbusters, um, the, the format that Mythbusters has had for a really long time is that Jamie and Adam, who are the Mythbusters in question, um, have a primary myth that they're working on busting or working on experimenting on throughout the episode. And then there was a secondary team that they call the build team. 
and it was made out of Grant Imahara, who is like robot technologist version of me. It's his. And it's Tori Belletti, who is great, um, was like an animator, model baker, like sort of electronics guy for a bunch of um, science fiction movies. Um, and Carrie Brant Byron, who was like a materials artist out in San Francisco. And the build team would work on like another set of myths. And for, and it was always like, in retrospect, it was always kind of like a weird dynamic because they never worked together except on like the really big ones. And it was maybe like two or three times a year that these two groups would intersect. And at the end of last season of Mythbusters, it was announced that Carrie, well, that the build team would not be returning to the Mythbusters, only it was super abrupt. Like, they announced it, like, in the last five minutes of the season finale of the show. Yeah. And, like, no further information has ever been provided about, like, what the sort of machinations behind that were. But um, Adam and Jamie have talked a lot about how they wanted to go back to showing more of their build process. And the new season of Mythbusters has started. And, okay, you and I are both, like, pretty much... um, up to date. What do you think about it? Um, you know what? It's hard for me to say. I was really unimpressed by the Simpsons episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just because I don't particularly like the Simpsons or because I'm a terrible person. Um, or if it's because it was like their first big thing, like in the new format, or if it's just because it's terrible. But I did like, uh, fuck, what's the episode they did right after that? Indiana Jones? Yes. I liked the Indiana Jones one, and I hate Indiana Jones. Which is one of the more horrifying elements of you that, like, I choose to ignore so that we can maintain our friendship. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm actually, like, I I really like the new format. Um, I, I enjoy seeing more of their build process and sort of, like, what goes into it. And I've always really enjoyed that part of the show. Yeah sort of don't understand why, like, the build team couldn't have been there for that. Yeah, I would have preferred if all of them were working together on, like, the same handful of myths at the same time. Yeah, I mean, that was always the weird thing about the original setup as well, right? Like, why weren't you guys working on it together? Well, they were for a while in the very early days of Mythbusters when they they weren't really called the build team yet. It was just like, we have these people it was like pre-grant yes, it was just when they were the randos that were on hand to work on stuff like when tori and carrie were just like part of m5 yeah that shit was great i really love those episodes like i i've bought a bunch of old mythbusters on itunes so i can watch it on airplanes and stuff and i bought mostly old episodes because they have like this great dynamic all together like it's fantastic i'm like you could have yeah. just done that yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. I mean, so far, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm I'm enjoying the new um, the new format. Although I will always miss Tori and Grant and Carrie. Yeah, I love those guys. I would also be okay if they had their own like coming up on MythBusters mini, like right after. Yeah, or like a web version of the show or something like that. Totally. Yeah, I mean. It would be nice if that happened. It doesn't look like it is. And I doubt that they're, like, not finding work. Um, yeah, so, doesn't Carrie have her own know. show now? Pardon? Doesn't Carrie have her own show now? I am not aware if she does. I know that Grant is constantly doing stuff. I don't know what Tori's doing, but it's not exactly like he can't find, like, studio work. Yeah, well, I know that Grant did that, like, behind the scenes at McDonald's, how French fries are made. I'm sure that paid really well. 
<laughs> All that sweet, sweet French fry money. Sweet French fry money. Listen, that thing was like nine minutes long of him like telling you how great McDonald's fries are and this is how they're made. Like, that's going to pay really well. Yeah, although, you know what the thing is, normally I don't like it when people do stuff like that, but, like, I really fucking like McDonald's french fries, so I can't even, like, drink the haterade on that one. Dude, when I was watching it, this is, like, a weird segue about McDonald's fries, but for most of the process, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to eat those, and then there's a certain point where they're like, and now we douse the, like, sliced potatoes in, and then they list some crazy-ass chemicals, and I was like, what is that? And it turns out it's stuff that is, like, part of the process of making silly putty? Yep, it's dextrose. No, it wasn't dextrose. It wasn't something I recognized. Oh, it's something else? There were two chemicals I didn't recognize that are, like, not normally food things, but I guess are okay to use in food. And I was like, (laughs) that part's weird, but I still want fries. I guess that's, like, I guess that's, like, the human version of roughage. Yeah. I was just (laughs) like, well, (laughs) my brain is is not going to win this one. My mouth is, so. It's true. Go team. So recently we rebuilt our website because our old website is beautiful and so nice and our friend built it for us and she was amazing. Uh, But I'm really lazy and updating it was harder than I would like it to be. Not like harder, but like more time consuming. And I was like, yeah, I use WordPress for like everything else that I do. So I rebuilt it in WordPress again with her help because I broke it immediately after building it. Yeah, for all of you who are like, your website's down, uh, the answer is MK broke it. <laughs> yeah, like every time. And I, I do websites like on the side as part of, and I'm like, I, I broke this. I don't know what I did. I broke it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, it works now. It's live. It's great. It's easier to update. And we destroyed and then rebuilt our Tumblr, so that's easier to update too. So uh, if you're worried about a previous ask not getting through, like, just send it to us again. Also, our Tumblr yeah. is beautiful. Uh, sure. It is. Trust me. Um. <laughs> hey, I spent, like, a good chunk of time breaking our website and rebuilding Tumblr. Like, I'm proud of my work. As you should be. Yeah. As 100% should be. But the other thing that we wanted to um, flag up for you guys is that we are coming up this season of Slash Report. And, we like, this is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're coming up to our 100th episode. Yeah. Which is insane. I I didn't believe it until, again, like, doing the WordPress thing, it tells you how many episode posts you have, and it was like, hold on, even minus the hiatus season, like, we're definitely going to hit the 100th episode, like, not that long from now. Complete madness. Super bonkers. Unable to process this information. But so we are having a 100th episode coming up this season, and we want you guys to send us your suggestions and thoughts on what you want for the 100th episode. Because quite frankly, MK and I have been talking about this. We have no fucking idea (laughs) what we're going to do for this. Um, But we're going to try not to let you shit the bed on this one. So guys, send us your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, help us out. Uh, yeah, our brains are tired. We've, we've apparently done this for almost a hundred episodes. <laughs> that takes a lot out of you. It does. It takes so much out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Just send us some stuff and, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe you'll save the day. Indeed, indeed. And don't forget that we are beginning the process of collecting the confessions for our always popular fandom confessions episode so um our tumblr is slash report.tumblr.com 
Yep. So go ahead and hit us up in the ask box anonymously, or you can always email us at um, slash report at gmail.com. Um, we'll just keep you anonymous. Everyone's anonymous on the fan of confessions episode. So even if you do send it to us from like a known email address, we're not going to share what that information is. Yeah. Um, to let the whole world know your thoughts, feelings, and like the horrible thing you did that one time to the thing and the stuff. Uh, so keep that in mind, guys, as you roll along throughout this year. All right. All right. Which brings us to the major topic of discussion for this episode, which kind of retreads a lot of territory that we do discuss on kind of a rolling basis, specifically the intersection of fandom and the slow creaking, ever rupturing fourth wall um, that we all kind of hide behind. The This topic was sort of brought up by a recent article that was posted a little bit earlier this month on the Mary Sue. Um, the title is On the Fetishization of Gay Men by Women in the Slash Community. Now, the fetishization is, I mean, MK and I both read this article and like there are a lot of points of it that we just... A, disagree with, and B, I think it's really badly written. It's really confusing and sort of meandering. Yeah. And, um, it, but it did bring up an interesting point that uh, has made a lot of people angry <laughs> about casting, like, an unfair light onto the Slash community within fandom. And I feel like that's something that is, you know, setting the article aside, that's something that is a continuing topic. Like, Within the sub-community, the Slash community is still a sub-community of the sub-community. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, on the one hand, I realize that we have to get used to increasing publicity. That's kind of the wrong word, but you know what I mean? And yeah. I'm also like, please don't give us increasing publicity. Please stop. Yeah, I feel like there's two, like, very, or there are a million different camps on this, but the two most kind of, like, broadly the broadly known camps on this are, I think the one you and I are in MK are very much like, do not look at the man behind the curtain, right? Like, I don't want you guys to like, if, unless you're explicitly in the fandom, like, I don't want you looking at my shit. Like, I don't want you to be aware of it. Uh, like nothing is worse than when fans take fan fiction to the creators. Oh my nothing God. Is, like the, the only thing worse than that is if you give them sexually explicit fan fiction to the creators. Um, yes. And then there's the faction that's like, we shouldn't be ashamed of fandom. Like, I wish more people would acknowledge fandom and like, blah, 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 blah. And like, to some extent, I get it. Like, you want to have your creative work acknowledged or your fandom acknowledged. But like, that is never, I think that the, to me, at least, when I hear that argument, I feel like it's almost seeking some sort of approval or like nod from like the the creators or like the mainstream but like was never the point when it comes to fandom for me yeah well I don't think it is the point because it's a transformative work the point is to to fix something or to not fix it but to like take a whole or a piece of it and just like change it around and I would just say that my argument against doing all of that business is this is basically a Marvel Civil War situation. Like, <laughs> look how that ended for Tony Stark. Like, don't don't go there. Don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think this is such, like, a personal thing. And I feel like it's probably something that's also indicative of different 
generations of fans and it's evident in everything right like just if you talk to older fans I find that we typically are much more insular in the way that we do fandom like most of us just kind of want to like hang off in the corner and like do our fandom thing whereas like the modern I'm just thinking about like all the different polls that people are like really into voting in like no, I'm just trying to, like, 15 years ago, would this ever have been a thing? Like, everyone, go vote for, like, our slash pairing in this poll. Like, fuck no. Like, no. So underground. And then there, you know, like, Teen Wolf, like, fan fiction contests and, like, Kill Me With Fire. Like, it's all, like, a level of scrutiny that, frankly speaking, I don't think that fandom is good at sustaining because the ultimate reason why, like, fandom kind of lives in a fanish or not fandom but like fan fiction um and slash fan fiction and slash in general kind of lives in a fandom ghetto is because it's like about sex and people are weird about sex people are especially weird when it comes to women and sex yeah this is like the romance novel thing again right when you Mm -hmm. see like a lady reading a romance novel on the subway and if it has like the shirtless clinch cover people are like (gasps) Or if they see yeah. someone now reading Fifty Shades, like, that's porn. And it's like, women have been reading porn for literally forever. But we don't talk about it. And I'm not saying that we, that it's bad that we, like, don't want to talk about it. But I still want my porn to be, like, a private thing that I don't share with the world. Yeah, and I feel like this has always been one of those things that I struggle with. Because a lot of people are of the opinion that fandom should be, like, a safe space. And how that interprets itself, I mean, there are a million different versions of this, right? I've never bought into the idea that fandom is a safe space. Like, nowhere is a safe space. There's no such thing as a space, safe space in the world. Um, and if safe space means that everyone kind of has to cater to your very specific expectations, like, oh my god, that's even more absurd. But at the same time, I do think that it's fair to expect a certain level of like fight clubness. Does that make any sense? It's just like, it's not like I'm going to go out of my way. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like pull everyone to be like, what is your exact level of comfort about having this public? Like, I will never check with someone before I like wreck their story on my pin board. At the same time, I would never ever go out of my way to like email the Mary Sue.com and say like, you should write a story about this. Even though the story is publicly accessible on the broader internet, there's kind of like a gentlewoman's agreement that we don't do that because part of what makes fandom like fun is that the people who are reading and consuming and who are talking to each other about it are all of a similar mind. There's also a certain thing where like, you're right about like, I like there's nowhere that's a safe space and you can't, we can't make it perfect for everyone. But there's the larger issue of, like, if you are trying to expose fandom or talk about fandom on these these larger scales and in these more public places where norms are, you're not just making that decision for yourself. You're making it for every single other person in fandom. And I don't think you have that right. Right. But then, then like, the query becomes, like, does should anyone ever talk about fandom? Yeah, I don't in know. Norm spaces. I, I don't like, know. Yeah, that's a really complicated question that I can't answer. But I still am like, hey, stop talking about me. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and the unfortunate kind of fallout of this article is that there were a lot of people who are really upset because this is casting uh, a critical light on, you know, slash fandom in general, where 
a lot of these people, this is like the first time they actually know about this because it was written for the Mary Sue, got picked up by Jezebel. Yeah. If you guys remember, Jezebel recently also ran a story about nodding, and that was great. That was uh, a terrible <laughs> dark day. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 just more um, it's more evidence of the continuing way that like the fourth wall is like slowly deteriorating, and maybe all that really because I feel like this is like an inevitability thing, right? Like I feel like this is going to happen whether or not we want it to. Like I don't want it to, but I, it's already happening. So I think maybe the best way for us to deal with this going forward is to kind of like critically take a look at what we do and think about what are the best ways that we make ourselves feel comfortable and happy with our Spanish interactions. If that means that we have to, I don't know, like if that means we have to like prescribe more spaces, the way that we used to have locked LJ communities for like posting fic and stuff like that, maybe that's the way to do it. I don't really know what the new paradigm is because so much of fandom is still on Tumblr, which is completely garbage when it comes to like filtering or sorting information. But maybe like the answer is not just to be like upset about it, but maybe the answer is to be reactive and to try and see if we can like reshape fandom to what we want. Maybe. I mean, there was a thing, I don't know if you remember this because you aren't in hockey fandom, but um, I think it was the Daily Dot was going to write a story about hockey slash fiction, like, a year or so ago. Ooh, I think I remember this a little bit. You might want to talk just the details, though, in case anybody else listening was not aware of this. Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong a little bit, um, because reasons. Um, essentially, it was going to be a story by someone in fandom who works for the Daily Dot talking about hockey slash fic. And it was going to, like, link to things and, like, discuss things in detail. And it was going to reach a pretty broad, non-Fanish audience. And surprise, people were really uncomfortable with that. And when they were approached by the author when they were doing, like, the research phase, uh, most of hockey fandom immediately locked all of their stuff on AO3 or deleted it. Mm, okay. And I was like... That's the reason, that's the reason why when you're on AO3 and you're looking for hockey RPF, a lot of it is locked. You have to be logged in to view it. Um, and mm. like, it's still that way now. And it's been quite some time. And I believe the article never ran because of the like overwhelmingly strong reaction negatively from fandom. Gotcha. And I'm like, is that, is that the solution? Do we all lock everything that we do on AO3 from now on so that you have to have an AO3 account? Because I don't think that's fair to people who are still on the waiting list and are in fandom. Yeah. No, I know. I agree with you. I just, I don't know that there's a good solution because it's like this thing, like fandom is so big and there's so many people in it and there's so many different sets of opinions that we're never going to all agree um, but all, I guess all we can do is curate our, our experience to the best of our capability. And I feel like if, if it ever became a thing where people really loved coming into fandom and like pointing and staring, then, I mean, like, I know that my reaction would be to just lock all of my shit to AO3 because I like my, I don't maintain my own fan fiction page anymore. Yeah, me either. If it came down to it, I would do that, but I would be unhappy about it and unhappy about how we had come to that point. Yeah. I, I feel like there has to be, there has to be, like... Something else. There has to be some other way to do this, right? Like, there has to be, I don't know, there has to be a good middle ground, but neither of us are, like, the type of people who actually come up with stuff like that. Yeah, well, I also think that that's the kind of thing where you need 
you need a longer conversation with way more people. And it's not going to obviously get solved on this podcast. No, it's just something that I like, I've definitely been thinking about more. Um, I'm not anywhere near the point where I'm like, oh my God, I feel really uncomfortable with this level of scrutiny and I'm going to like delete all of my fan fictions off of the internet or anything like that. But it's, it's definitely one of those things where I don't know that I want like people who do not have the sort of cultural knowledge and awareness and context that the readers like that the AO3 readers would, um, to kind of like poke around, you know, like it, it just, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I think we should talk about other things that the article raised. This is not so much the article raising, but this is a thing that like came up as we were talking about the subject, um, as we're kind of plotting out the, uh, plotting out this episode MK, do you want to, like, give the intro to this? Prue and I were talking about how, obviously, there's, like, a pretty good consensus in fandom that you shouldn't pay for fan fiction, right? Like, that's, like, a pretty much a given. People are like, whoa, 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 you're charging money for your fan fiction? Like, that's unacceptable because this is a sharing community. You, like, write something and you send it out into the void and your payment is the kudos and comments and the wrecks that people write. Like, all of that feedback. Yep. However, and I have mixed feelings about this, people charge for fan art. And I've always been like, yeah, it's totally fine to charge for fan art. And I have, like, a couple reasons for that. But when I think about it, I'm like, if you can charge for fan art, you should absolutely be able to charge for fan fiction. I don't think you should charge for fan fiction, but I don't think that you should disallow people from charging for fan art. And then I get, like... You you can't have it both ways. No, you absolutely cannot. Like, I fall very strongly on the side of, like, you shouldn't charge for fan art. Like, and I know that there are people who take commissions who are probably listening to this who are, like, really pissed off. But, like, you shouldn't charge for fan art. You should not charge for fan art. You shouldn't charge for fan art. Because, and this is, like, such, and part of this is obviously just, like, me being, like, so, like, bitter old, like, old school fandom is, like, this is back when we used to like write disclaimers at the top of our fanfic, basically saying that like, we don't own this, like we're just playing around and not making any profit off of it. So like very deep in the DNA of my fandom is the idea that I should not be profiting off of this. If anything, I have lost money to fandom from all the productive hours. I could have been doing other things with my life, you know? And that's fine. This is like, in terms of a hobby, like I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, this is something that I've had a lot of fun doing. I've made really good friends doing, and I don't think I've never felt compelled to charge for fanfic. But at the same time, I find that there's something like really deeply like, what the fuck? Like people charge for fan art all the time, like either through commissions or selling prints, like, and I have seen a couple of times where people are like, I will sell you like a copy of my fanfic in book form and like people getting really mad about that. And I'm like, why is there such a fucking double standard, you know? And it can't be that like fan art is harder quote or takes longer quote than fanfic because I will fight you in the streets. I will fight you in the city. I will fight you on the beaches about the level of effort that it takes to do either one of those things. So this is just one of those quandaries that kind of like chases me around. Like I don't understand it. Um, I'm gen- like, I don't 
I don't like it when people charge for fan art, but I also know that like, that is not my decision to make. I just find it really odd. And I like, it, it was just like, when we touched on this, I found that you and I shared similar thoughts on this about like our weird sort of like, but yeah, you can't tell people what to do, but at the same time, like what? Yeah. Uh, though, can I like <laughs> side note back to your argument there? I find it really funny when you're like, we're from the old days of fandom because you and I are both millennials, but in fandom time moves really quickly. And I'm like, God damn, we are from the old days of fandom, but not the, old, the old, old days. days. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and it's a, it's an interesting arc, right? Of fanish history. There was a point in time where you like legitimately had to pay for fanfic and it was because you were buying a zine though. And it was because like you couldn't get fanfic out to a broad audience through other methods. It, it wasn't like it was pre mailing list. It was pre people having internet. So the best way to get fandom or like get fanfic was by purchasing a zine. And then as soon as we had the internet, we could make it free. We made it free. Yeah. And we've kept it free. You know, like I give money to AO3 because I want us to own the servers and for us, for it to be free, because this is a thing that is supposed to be welcoming and it should let everybody from like the shittiest writer in the world to someone who's really great. Like everyone should be able to feed into this wonderful creative pot, but it, it's the same thing with the uh the fan subbing movement so if you guys don't remember this or whatever or if you weren't part of it back in the day when anime was first becoming a thing but like was not available in north america and the internet either didn't exist or was hella new and shitty that um, is correct people had to they would like record off of one vhs tape onto another vhs tape and like hand do the subtitles with a subtitle machine and you had to pay for your fan subs, but it was, like, the cost of the VHS plus shipping. And people exactly. would, like, share that among people. But now that, you know, people can fan sub stuff straight onto the internet, you don't pay for fan subs. They're just, like, released in a torrent and you download it because, you know, now we have the technology. Yeah, and it's, I mean, but it's some, there's something about fan art that, like, it just lives in a specialized world where this is okay. It is and strange. I, yeah, and I don't want to say that it's not okay, because, like, it feels weird for me to be able, like, it. I shouldn't be able to say that, right? Like, that's none of my business. I should not be able to say, like, oh, you can't. like, I'm nobody's arbiter. But it just feels weird that, like, we have such different standards on these two things. Yeah, and I'm not sure where that line came from or how it has, like, stayed for so long. But, like, there's definitely a part of me that is, like, that still, be. I mean, I grew up with a bunch of artists who would draw fan art and sell it at cons and so a big part of me is still like of course it's okay to charge for fan art but when I think it through it doesn't make sense it absolutely doesn't I just want to like I just using me as an example right like if I like if tomorrow I was like oh fuck shit my entire apartment set on fire I really need some money right now if I said the only way you could read chapter 12 of the work in progress I'm working on is by sending me 10 bucks, I would be killed. Like, there is no way, like, not only would people not buy it and not only would people not be okay with it, I would be excoriated for doing that. Okay. And yet there is no similar thing in fan art. But can I say on the fanfic side, this is like a thing that always, I'm so weirded out by this. People requesting donations at the top of their Tumblr or whatever, and people who are like, they like they will sell stuff, but they're like, but I have a really good reason, and here's the reason. And I'm always like, 
but normally we wouldn't be okay with this. So why are people doing this? Because I think I, I, I feel differently about stuff like that, because I think those are people who are trying to like fundraise, but with like the thin veneer of like exchanging goods or services for your money. But like, it is essentially asking for charity, which is fine. Like people, like everyone needs a hand sometimes. So like, I think that that's different just because like, it is more or less a cover for like asking for like donations. Um, and if that was like the case, if everyone was just like, send me, like, send me some donations and I might send you something. I think that's one thing, but then there are people who are like legit doing cottage industry. And that's like where it totally goes off the rails. Okay. But then let me ask you, um, on Etsy, people sell what equates to fan art all the time, but they sell it like, I made these buttons or I like stitched a Bulbasaur onto some cross stitch business and you can put it on a pillow. Are you okay with that? Because that's definitely cottage industry and it's fan art, but it's like, it's almost like it exists separate than fan art because it's on Etsy. Do you know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean, but I, I think that my, I'm like, I'm no more or less okay with that. Like, I'm not not okay with fan art being sold. I'm weirded out by it. And I don't, I personally don't think it should be, but like, I, I'm just like, whatever. It's a reality. People do it. Like, I think that the kind of way that I look at it is it's like, if it wasn't bad PR, would someone sue you for doing this? Um, because you're profiting off of like intellectual property that isn't yours, then maybe you shouldn't sell it. Like no one is ever going to be like, if you want to like sue me for profiting off of intellectual property, that's not mine. Like you would have no basis. Cause I have never, ever fucking made money off of fandom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even like the stuff we sell in the slash report store, I think has covered half of one year of hosting when we started. Yeah about like that's it, and to be fair like the stuff that's in the slash report store is not actually making money off of anybody else's intellectual property yeah it's all ours yeah but i mean to say that we haven't made money off of fandom we haven't we've lost money and that's fine <laughs> because it's my expenses so many precious hours of my irreplaceable life into fandom i don't know this is like this is not a topic where there is an answer this is just a topic that i thought was so interesting because i find it like such like, I'm so torn on it. I just, I have many complicated feelings. I have so many thoughts and so many feelings. I get I, it, man. I get it. I can't express them properly. Like, it's too complicated. Yeah, I know. And I'm, of course, coming at it from a biased point of view because, like, I am a fanfic author and not a fan artist. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I don't know. Maybe we should have had a fan artist on this episode. <laughs> I, you know what, this was such a last minute addition to the lineup of discussion that yeah. I don't think we could have scrambled one in time. <laughs> no, definitely not. But it, now I'm like, oh, now I feel bad. Because, guys, if you're going to send us an angry email, like, we already know the other side of the argument. Trust me. <laughs> Just trust me. We don't, I mean, you can send us an angry email if you want, but, like, I already know what you're going to say. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, also... Like, logically, we can sort of parse this out. It's not really something that's going to sway us. Well, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's such a, it's a, it's a conundrum. It is a conundrum. <sighs> okay. But I mean, like, I'm spent in terms of topical discussion. MK, was there anything else you wanted to flag up for this week? No, I think it's, it's a short episode this week, guys, because there's a lot happening and this is our first time experimenting with this and we don't have the right kind of asks for this episode yet. 
That is correct. Normally, this is where we would put um, answers to any questions that you send us, which would be done either at our Twitter at slash report or via our Tumblr at slash report at tumblr.com. Or you can send us an email as always at slash report at gmail.com. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if it's the kind of thing that works at just like throw it in at the end of the episode, totally. We'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that wraps us up for this week. Um, thanks for your patience. Let us know what you think about this new format. Please do not email me about the fan art thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> during your regular week, you can find me on Twitter at often imprudent. You can find MK at at Moonclutz. And um, I guess we'll see you guys on the flip side. Bye. Bye.